0: This episode is brought to you by DungeonNotebook.com, makers of the Tome of Delving, a hardcover notebook for keeping track of your 5th edition character. It has a place for your stats, your spells, your familiars, your inventory, all the essential things that each class needs, plus plenty of room to write down your adventure. The book comes in an awesome dust jacket and even has a ribbon bookmark so you don't lose your place. During the month of November, 2020 that is, there's actually a discount code going on. If you go to DungeonNotebook.com and put in the code DC5, you'll get $5 off your purchase for the Tome of Delving. Go to DungeonNotebook.com and upgrade your character sheet today.
1: What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a show where we gather around this podcast table in your ears and we talk about some dungeons and dragons. Each week, we or a listener like you, writing into difficultyclass at gmail.com, come up with a topic, question, encounter, or anything else related to RPGs and have some fun talking about them. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Deichman, and with me this week is...
0: Trevor Bettis.
1: That's right. And before we dive into what we're talking about this week, uh, we've got some dungeon keeping. Right, Trevor?
0: yes yes we do um, if you didn't if you don't follow us on Twitter at difficulty class first of all what are you doing if you don't have Twitter I get it it's a hellscape <laughs> but if you do come on what come on just just hit that follow button mm-hmm. uh, but if you don't follow us you probably don't know that uh, we did a live stream last Friday yeah um, if we had been smart we would have talked about it on the show last week but we didn't so we're here Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> We did a uh, we did a live streamed game uh with uh Ryan Blake Hall uh, mm-hmm. who does Mars's Guiding Hand on the Idle Champions uh streaming channels and whatnot uh Lee Goldberg who does Griddle Champions and Garwar who does Garwar's Guide to all fun Idle Champions things that's not the name of it but I think to it everything. should be and <laughs> and if Garwar listens to this and gets mad at me about it they'll be perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we did a we did a stream, we had some fun Ryan uh made uh, we played a, a a game that he himself wrote, um, and maybe we'll get into a little bit more about that later. Yeah. Um, but if you uh, want to hear that or watch it, you can do that now. Hopefully, if Anchor isn't still down. I, I hope you're listening to this on Friday. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the the audio of the game went up as this week's previously on. Uh, it's called The Beast of Blemish. You can wa- uh, you can listen to it on there, but if you want to watch it and feel like you were here live with us the whole time and see me add in text on the fly because Twitch screwed up and I didn't hey, know how to do things and was panicking. You did was good, man. It was good. <laughs> straight panic. Um, You can do that on our new YouTube channel. Woo! We have a YouTube channel. Hooray! <laughs> i know it's 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 crazy it's weird i yeah. who, who knew i've only been trying to do it for 10 months now <laughs> um so yeah uh, we don't have a fancy URL because you have to have so many subscribers to do that and we don't Uh, (laughs) so uh, just search difficulty class you'll find the channel Uh, right now we have uh, that that game up right now beast of blemish and we also have an unboxing I did an unboxing of the curse of uh, strawed revamped edition and I gestured to it like you could see it but you can't only (laughs) Ali can but she also has it so it was pointless Um, and yeah so we're gonna be posting stuff on there we don't quite know what yet um it's kind of a if an idea comes to us we might do it and see how it goes and upload it and but if you have any ideas about what you would like to see us do um send it into difficulty class at gmail.com or on twitter at difficulty class mm-hmm. and we'd love to hear those ideas yeah um I feel like I'm forgetting something, uh, but, uh, oh well, we'll talk about it later (laughs) if we did. Anywho, we're here to talk about the rest of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Yeah, it's part two. (laughs) Oh, I really really messed up last week. I should have called it Tasha's Almost Full Cauldron of Everything or something like that. Half (laughs) full. Half full Cauldron of Everything. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, this Um, is the second half. Yeah, if you missed last week's episode, go listen to that one first uh, because that is where we're talking about the player side of things. Or maybe you don't care about the player side of things and you're a forever DM that is angry at hearing player options because they're things that you don't get to play with. I understand that, 100%. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see, where do we leave off? We left off on Feet, so we, yeah. we finished that up. And so, surprisingly, after an hour and a half of podcasting, we're at Chapter 2.
1: Uh, (laughs) i love it yeah
0: (laughs) fantastic and this uh chapter is all about group patrons which has the most badass picture of tasha ever sitting on this majestic Mm -hmm. like tree throne with her thralls and red caps around it's fantastic Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm this is
1: this feels more like tasha that uh is more classic where it's a little bit of evil in there so it's like ooh, this is nice Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm
0: I still haven't decided how I'm gonna do Tasha in my game like if I'm gonna have her be more of the adventuring type like she was with uh, her, her group of you know people I don't know I was gonna have a joke I can think of it. Uh, or if I'm gonna have her be a villain because that's the fun thing with her you could do either one.
1: I mean the thing with Tasha is that you could have her be all three that's fair. You could That'd you could have her be like you know the classic the, the crone, the maiden, the mother like all three at the same time in different times yeah. of her life yeah
0: yeah oh time travel fun yeah i'm getting into some <laughs> uh I, i'm getting into some crazy stuff uh, once i come back to yeah. dming but you'll hear more about that on next week's i'm excited about on. it <laughs> <laughs> so um let's let's talk real quick about how patrons work mm-hmm. and by that i mean it's a little vague um they they yeah. give some structure But this opening part is just kind of like, well, you could just let them do things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's (laughs) they had group
1: patrons um, in the Guide to Eberron. Yeah. And I I will make a quick little mention here. They have eight example patrons here in this book, but they had like 12 in Eberron. Um, Oh, Did they really? Yeah, there was a lot. But also the Eberron patrons were kind of also Eberron specific a little bit. So they were kind of tailored to that. Setting, whereas this one is more, like you mentioned, kind of vague to where you can plop
0: them in wherever you mm-hmm. like. Um, they're kind of setting agnostic.
1: Yeah. And like, just like how there's example magic items, because let's be honest, that's what they are in the DMG. And they're really like, you can make your own. And here's all these tables that you can make
0: them with. It's yeah, like, but wizards, I'm lazy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I really <laughs> would love just a whole group patron, like actual thing, as opposed to yeah. just here's how to make them in a very vague way <laughs>
0: uh so so essentially before we before we talk about the the examples of ones and i think what we could do is we'll just pick one of them and just go through that one cuz it's yeah. kind of kind of gives you an idea but as far as like making your own like in the how patrons work it uh it, it basically has a section called group assistance which is saying hey this is an npc that just helps your players They're there to solely, you know, either move the storyline, give them quests, give them items, give them money. It's a way that they don't have to worry about, like where their money's coming from so if you're tired of the you know murder hobos that walk through fae rune looking for any bounty to scrounge gold together for this is how you do it you can have them working for someone you could have them working for a group you could have them uh what's interesting and and also more vague later is or they can be their own patron (laughs) yeah which uh, gets gets messy and is funny because I know I've had players want to do this and I hope they don't read these rules.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, um, my rogue Safir, he actually just met up with, you know, the other half of his family who is, are coming off of being a murder crime syndicate and he's like, I want to <laughs> use their skills, but not for murder. Maybe for a little bit of crime, but not for murder. And so we were talking and it's like, there's a lot of stuff in the DM's Guild, which is great, that I've already bought, like a couple of, and like to implement building your own thing there. But he's also trying to head up this whole Syndicate Guild thing, mm-hmm. and I'm like, looking at this, I'm thinking, could he be a, the, the patron of the NPCs? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so it's like, I'm I'm interested to actually go into this chapter with it because it would it would help my game out a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, this one, I I like it. It's. Con- I, I'm. I'll read this and we'll we'll see what we think about. So this is under a section called Perks. A group patron offers your party a number of perks for your service. They range. Uh, they range from standard business arrangements, uh, such as a steady wage and other and what Uh, where, where, no, this isn't the part I was thinking of. Where is that? Oh, group assistance. My apologies. Advantage. You just heard me. Re- yeah. <laughs> Th- yeah. This is the advantage thing that I'm a little confused about. Yeah. So, having a group patron gives an adventuring group a common purpose, which inspires better uh, coordination in the form of guidance and encouragement. As a result of this unity, each member of the party can grant advantage to an ability check, an attack roll, or a saving throw for another member of the party. To grant the advantage this way, a character and the chosen target must be able to see or hear each other, and neither can be incapacitated. Once a party member grants this advantage, that individual can't do so again until they finish a long rest. Mm -hmm. That's cool yeah i don't get how that works like thematically it's like it 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 feels like this should either be an evergreen rule or it's it's weird that this they they're putting this in with patrons
1: Uh, the only thing i can imagine like flavor wise is is like uh, imagine assassin's creed if you will (laughs) Mm -hmm. right i'm I'm talking old school assassin's creed i haven't played any of the new ones but um It's like you're part of a common goal, and so it's like you can say, "Hey, remember, like insert city here," and you're like, "Oh yeah, it's the remember Budapest situation with the Avengers," <laughs> and it's like you inspire each other by having that connection that no one else has.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think this would make more sense to me if it was like if your patron or an agent of your patron is nearby they can give you advantage on it like it could be up to like a dm discretion it's it's weird for me that like if you don't have a patron these rules aren't there but i guess they could be but it, it's still just it's one of those ones where it's like okay but where exactly is it coming from besides just a pep talk because mm-hmm. then it's like okay well now you're kind of null and voiding like inspiration things that bards do stuff like that where it's like i see where this stuff is coming from but when it's just like, and because they have a patron, they can give each other advantage when the hell ever. But they can only do it once. It, yeah, it's, once per it's long rest. Yeah, yeah. It still it still feels weird to me mm-hmm. put in here. I don't know. Maybe I am just being weird. <laughs> um. So yeah, with the the part that I mistakenly started reading with perks is basically saying like they can give you money and items. Mm-hmm. they just because just um, like with
1: uh, ravnica where if you go up and level with the guild you get like certain items and things yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and then it talks about assignments and just being like hey they can give quests or bounties or whatnot um but let, let's take a look at one of the example patrons um and the options we have is uh academy ancient being aristocrat criminal syndicate guild military force religious order or sovereign which one do you want to look at
1: don't mind me desperately reaching for a d8 uh i got five <laughs> Two, three four the five. guild
0: the <laughs> guild all right it is run by felicia day uh <laughs> <laughs> it is no longer running unfortunately um so let's see this uh this eventually essentially the first part of this is talking about that, like a guild can be any type that you want uh, but they do have a, uh, a a table that you can roll on. It's a D6 one. So the options on the D6 for what guild it is is Crafters Guild. Uh, this uh, this conglomerate of artisans pools its resources and influence to ensure a steady exchange of gold for its craft. Mm-hmm. Number two is Merchant Consortium. I'd love the word consortium. I That's don't know why. a good
1: word. It's a good <laughs>
0: word. Uh, these entrepreneurs don't create uh, the wares they peddle, instead specializing in inking products Uh, or linking products, (laughs) that would be funny, Uh, linking products to uh, prospective owners, if they don't have it, they find it.
1: They're the middlemen. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Number three is uh, Miracle Makers Association. The magically inclined crafters of this guild specialize in imbuing physical goods with magical effects. Rumor has it that they can strip the, uh, the magic from existing enchanted items and might be willing to buy or trade adventure spoils. Ooh. Number 4 is Money Changers. These merchants deal in all forms of currency, acting as bankers, loan agents, and crucial contacts for adventurers and other individuals who deal with large sums of wealth they encourage coin for the gems uh, oh yeah they exchange coin for gemstones as readily as they find buyers for historical relics and recovered art so this that's kind of a cool one for all the times where you're like you find four gems worth 250 gold each instead of then worrying about having to go find someone who will buy them for that you just go to your patron and be like uh, money please or even <laughs> it presents
1: an opportunity as opposed to I know a lot of groups are like how much are these gems worth 250 and at the end of the session you could be like can we just put 250 into our like gold pile and it's like yeah but
0: yeah this I always gives you the opportunity
1: that. to like actually go through and talk to someone about it like have mm-hmm. a role-playing moment
0: yeah love those moments mm-hmm. uh, number five is philosophical faction these like-minded individuals follow specific teachings spreading word of their ex- uh, expertise through their services and training Number six is identity traders. Oh, God. Uh, These, I can't say this word. Enigmatic. Enigmatic enigmatic dealers buy and sell documents, memories, and the trappings of thoroughly uh, lived lives, selling them to those in need of the ultimate fresh start.
1: Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a lot of really good options, honestly. And I could already, just hearing all those, I can already imagine those guilds in my world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, they're, and they're pretty and,
1: easily laid out.
0: What I like about these being the options they give for guild cuz like I think most people when they think of guilds in D&D they're like thieves guild, you know, assassination guild, like they they they, they get kind of like right into the 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 action and combat and everything. These are super interesting because their patrons but they aren't around like, go murder this dude or, you know, go kill the dragon. This one's just like, hey, so this town's like really in debt and uh, they're they're working with us. So we need to get them some money in exchange for their services. So if you can go over there, make sure that they're doing it. So- like, but you can do interesting stories out of mm-hmm. them. You can do different stories than normal. It's I like, mean, okay, we technically
1: oh, isn't Acquisitions Inc. guild.
0: I don't know what they consider themselves. I think uh, I think when I decided to introduce them into my world I made them a faction because I wanted them to have as much arguing power as uh like <laughs> the Lords Alliance or something because I <laughs> thought that would be funny. It's like you got the head of the Lords Alliance and fucking Jim Dark magic. <laughs> <laughs> um so w- now we get to the perks. So like I was saying this is where they get stuff and they give an okay. example of what sort of stuff they could get from guilds uh first off they uh, say accommodations you can stay at your organization's guild hall the rooms are uh are comparable to those of a comfortable inn at a modest price uh so five silver per night but they just get to do that they just have a place to stay uh they have equipment uh so this is uh let's see they can get specialized tools uh they can go to libraries crafting spaces all that fun stuff uh, resources You can leverage the guild's extensive contacts uh, to local exotic materials for crafting spell components, magic items. So yeah, if, if your group that worries about spell components, your patron uh, might be able to just be like, oh, don't worry, we're, we're going to send you regular uh, shipments of... Uh, you know spell components so it's not always a worry but it's still like oh i used all my spell components but my next shipment isn't getting here for another three days mm-hmm. so i need to go find some so it's it's still got some fun in there
1: i, I want to mention you you skipped probably the most fun sentence in the equipment part of it oh did i uh, yeah oh, um when you make an ability check with a set of artisan's tools using the guild's equipment add double your normal proficiency bonus Ooh, to the check
0: that's so cool
1: yes that's So it's like, hang on, guys, I really need to look into this, making this poison for us. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to use your kit. It's like, no, let's go back to the guild so I can make it really
0: good. (laughs) Love it. Uh, the other, one of the other things that I like a lot in several of these patrons is training. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guild retains knowledgeable tutors in subjects uh, pertinent to its interests. When you undertake the training downtime activity, as described in the Player's Handbook and Xanthor's Guide to Everything, uh, the training takes half as long uh, if you are studying a subject the guild specializes in. The DM describes if the guild has tutors <sighs> available for the given subject.
1: That is so cool. Yeah,
0: and that and that's in a lot of these. Like, um, in the I was reading the uh the academy one. Like, it's uh straight up just like training. Um, you can become proficient in Arcana, History, Nature, or Religion just from doing the training downtime at your patron.
1: That is so neat. Yeah, because like in my Neverwinter campaign, we did training a lot. In fact, yeah, Twyla's in the middle of training of learning a new instrument right now. And so, like, I we, love that. We literally, like, half my players have, like, a little training, like, section in their notes where it's, like, how many days they've worked on stuff.
0: <laughs> I, I love that. I, I love the idea of working towards something that is normally reserved for character creation and leveling up, but you're just doing it day to day. You're getting proficient at something that your class or your origin might not be familiar with. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, one of the other things that they suggest is having an NPC contact someone. So, like, if you have this big group that they are the patron of, it's good to have an NPC who they regularly talk to and are familiar with. So, they give some examples of ones. I'm not going to go into full detail because it's just, you know, hooks. But uh, I, I really do like that they have that much detail in these examples. Um, oh, I was still in Academy. My, my bad. Uh- <laughs> but let's see artisan oh criminal syndicate i'm i'm out of i'm out of spot now You're but good. i'm on an ipad so i can just tap things yay <laughs> <laughs> page 95 <laughs> There we go. oh th- this is, this is just scrolling i got no pages oh uh, well good uh, luck <laughs> the other thing that they do is they have um, uh representatives uh so like this mm-hmm. one for the guild they're like hey here's a role and here's a background that it fits. So you can kind of like just pick what they're proficient at quickly. You don't have to worry about what their class is. You just look at their background and know what proficiencies they can have from that. Yeah. Um, after that, they go into some quests, some optional things that they can do uh, in these types of, of uh, patrons and whatnot. So like for this one, it's like delivering goods, eliminate a rival, uh, the masterpiece, which is like a heist. Uh, the the bill comes due the guildmaster uh achieved their uh, vaunted position by means of otherworldly bargain, that price has come due, and they are uh, desperate to avoid paying. You must defeat whatever's coming to collect the master's (laughs) debt, or find another acceptable payment. I love I love these these ideas that you could do. You could have like what sounds like a boring patron, but it turns out that they got it through magical evil means. Yeah,
1: the picture on the previous page. The caption for it is. A hero fights the bullywug who guards the villainous master of the bakers guild, <laughs> not banker, bakers guild.
0: <laughs> I love, I love the idea of the villainous master of the bakers guild. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> ha, 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 this the sign. will say it's a strawberry cake, and it's actually peach. <laughs> I don't know why he's French. Um. So yeah, the I I really like the examples that they give. Um, and I feel like that is almost a better way of teaching than the vague rules that that come before it. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, they're not very clear in it, and by reading through these examples, I think it gives a much clearer idea of what they're talking about here and a better grasp on what you can do with it. Yeah. Being your own patron is weird. <laughs> um, essentially, the the... They don't give any specific rules on, like, what benefits you get. It's almost, they they basically are saying, like, you can become a patron for other people. So, and it recommends looking at running a business downtime activity in the DMG and basically going off of that. Oh, yeah. That's (laughs) cool. I kind of wish there were more hard and fast rules with becoming a patron rather than just running a business. See, like, this
1: is where going to the DMs Guild, uh, people have already done this for you.
0: Oh, see, that's great.
1: <laughs> like, that's they, great. they have, like, vague options here, but, like, there's... If you're looking for to how to create a criminal organization, you could find that on the DMs Guild. If you're looking to create, a, like, an entire business, like a merchant sit- guild, that's already
0: on the DMs Guild. Okay. Good to know. As usual, check out the DMs Guild. <laughs> um... Do you have any last thoughts on patrons? Do you think you're going to use them?
1: I like it quite a lot. Um, it depends on the campaign that I'm going for, of course, because I believe that these would kind of almost be better for the, from the get-go, it feels like. But I'd have to play yeah. with that because... That, that's
0: that's the problem I'm running into too because I'm like I feel like you'd almost have to build an adventure around this like you have yeah. to build the campaign around that because my guy my golden pals go freaking everywhere they're bouncing around all over the place yeah having one set place where they go back to would be hard
1: like I could see nabbing the sovereign patron and like applying it to Neverwinter. hmm and like oh yeah you guys will get these like perks since you're since you're under Never Embers, like, since he's your patron, technically. Yeah. But it's, like, at the same time, it feels like a lot of these perks are almost good for, like, levels 1 through 10, maybe, versus yeah. level 17.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the The only thing that I could see, like, like with your group, uh, you guys use a lot of teleportation circles. So, like, having a teleportation circle in their patron's, like, stronghold could be good because then they teleport back there and stuff. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, we we have our groups are very globe trotting, yeah, um, and so I I don't quite know, and I guess that might be why the advantage thing comes in, so that there's some hint of your patron still with throughout you. the campaign, yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, for example, if I had to pick someone who would be the golden pal's patron right now, would be the Knights of Skyreach, but they literally haven't seen them since June. <laughs> They've been in hell. <laughs> yeah, they've been in hell since June. Yeah. So, like, I don't know what good... They, they just drop a, a care package through the hole that uh, Etriol used to be. They're just like, oh, I'm sure I'll find them.
1: Like, all uh, Hunger Games, it's like just a little thing floating <laughs> down in a number... Like, a parachute. <laughs> oh
0: God. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm going to use them in my current game. Future games, though, I probably would be very tempted because it seems like a really... Especially for new players, this seems like such a good way to introduce them Mm -hmm. into D&D, but also not have that like, well, what the hell do I do? It's like, well, luckily you're with this group who is going to help you along doing that.
1: The only thing I would probably say about it is I'm sad they didn't take more pages from Ravnica when going through this and they pretty much just stuck to Eberron because Mm. one thing that I really liked about Ravnica was they really clearly kind of laid out, hey, when you're this rank, in this organization under this person you get this benefit
0: yeah they they do have like uh some of them have titles for positions mm-hmm. um and that's cool but it doesn't tell you anything about like what benefit that would give you
1: yeah and it's like i kind of i think it's all assumed that when you're under this patron you get all these perks mm-hmm. so it's like there's no uh even if you do quest there's not necessarily a whole Well, what do you get from it, aside from your average gold and such?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, With that, I think we're going to transition over into the spells section. Yes. Um, For this one, so they they added a lot of spells to this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but, well, okay, they added a lot, uh, but I think there are plenty of people who are disappointed with the number, especially since quite a few of these are reprints. Yeah. I'm really happy with what is here and the fact that uh, especially the ones that were previously only for Blade Singer, are now all over the place and they're freaking cool.
1: Yeah, that's a great point to make. Like the Booming Blade, Green Flame Blade, um, Sword Burst, those are all pretty much only for, I think, Wizards and Sorcerers, if I recall right.
0: Um, They're for Artificers, Sorcerers, Warlock, and Wizard.
1: Yeah, now they are. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, that's such a cool idea that it just was expanded to the other classes, too, because, like, warlocks could definitely use those spells. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, like, there's the joke about warlocks and Eldritch Blast, but, like, this would be a great way to give them another cantrip that they can use.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because what, what... Well, Eldritch Blast is nice and all, but that's a ranged spell. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Uh, was, uh, was Bard of Creation in this book... Is this the one that that's from? Yes. Yeah. So I um, th- this has to do with the the spell parts of it. Uh, I actually, uh, one of my players last night played wit, and I made him a level twenty bard of creation.
1: Ah, cool.
0: The ability to just give spells from different classes with that uh college is ridiculous. Yeah. Because in one turn, he used um. A, he used banishing smite with a booming blade. <laughs> and it was awesome.
1: <laughs> That's really cool. And
0: again, I, I know spells aren't supposed to work that way. I don't
1: care, but it was cool. <laughs> hey, it was cool. Um,
0: yeah. It, uh, so what I, I think we're going to do for the spell section is kind of just peek through a couple of these that we have found interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that... Uh, the, like So I'm, I'm looking at the them in the... the spell order do you want to do them in spell order or a name order
1: uh let's do i think it'd be better if we did them in like almost that's a great question
0: i think (laughs) let's do them in spell order okay so so the one that i want to point out and i don't know correct me you you probably know i don't uh is is lightning lure from another book
1: um lightning lure is from sword coast adventurer's guide
0: i love this spell and i don't know how i missed it yeah it's a good Um, one so this is a cantrip, it's one action. Uh, you create a lash of lightning energy that strikes at one creature of your choice that you can see within 15 feet of you. The target must succeed on a strength saving throw or be pulled up to 10 feet in a straight line towards you and then take 1d8 lightning damage if it, if it is within 5 feet of you. Mm-hmm. The spell's damage increases by 1d8 when you reach 5th and then uh, more by at 11th and then total of 4 at 17th. I think that's a really cool spell, <laughs> especially for lower levels.
1: Yeah, uh, if you're familiar with Smash Brothers, it's what Isabelle does. She just yanks you <laughs> with the uh with the fishing pole, but you know, it's with magic, so it's fun yeah, magic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that that was the one that really stuck out to me that I saw some cool opportunities for mm-hmm. um but there is mind sliver in here, which we saw in uh, you know, the Ravnica? on uh, Arcanus. No, un- that was that, oh, this, that is, was this the, is a new one.
1: Yeah, this is the, the psionic one.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. This this is the psionic cantrip and yeah, let's see Uh, you drive a uh dis- disorienting spike of psychic energy into the mind of one creature you can see within range. The target must succeed on an intelligent saving throw or take 1d6 damage um, and subtract 1d4 from the next saving throw it makes before the end of its next turn.
1: I love debuffing cantrips. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> They're so fun.
0: Yeah. It, like, it is a little sad that it's it's a cantrip that's, you know, like the other ones. It's a save or nothing. Yeah. Um, But it is still pretty cool. And for me, like, I, I feel like this is a uh, wizard, warlock, uh, whatever equivalent of um, actually, oh, sorcerer, warlock, wizard uh and uh, an ardent mind uh get this art minds for the sorcerer i like it because it's basically a version of dissonant whispers yeah for for them so like it's giving like kind of a bardic sort of power to them as well i like it
1: mm-hmm. not to mention the artwork for mind sliver is it's so cool. really neat <laughs>
0: yeah like it looks really great um any any uh w- which one do you want to talk about? Any, any of them that stand out to you is super cool. Um, as them? far
1: as like cantrips go, those are pretty much like the ones that are new ish to me. At least yeah. uh the mind sliver because uh, I I play with Robert who has been doing booming blade and green flame blade this entire campaign. So yeah, <laughs> I'm very yeah, comfortable that's true. with those. That's true. Um, but there is a matter of a slight change in those spells. Oh really? Um, yeah, they are cast self now um as opposed to touch mm. so i believe it i forgot my my buddy marcos mentioned it's like it changes some things because um i think it was a feat where you if you cast range spells of touch it changes it's different oh
0: yeah 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 you can cast uh touch spells at range oh god yeah that's that would be broken <laughs>
1: yeah so they changed it to self which is that's good. fine yeah yeah <laughs> Makes sense. Um, but aside from that, yeah. There, there's only one first level uh, new spell in here, which is fun.
0: Um, Tasha's Caustic Brew. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I like it because it essentially does damage over time. Yeah. And you don't get a lot of that in uh, in 5th edition, let alone at first level.
1: Yeah. we well, first uh, spell level. We played a one-shot where Taylor played a halfling artificer, the Iron Man one. yeah and uh she pretty much straight up said oh i'm gonna do uh tasha's caustic brew and like her fingers like they popped open on her armor and out (laughs) came just this ass the acidic line (laughs) (laughs) and it was like such a cool thing um but yeah the damage over time i always appreciate it especially if it's not just fire because yeah fire everything's resistant to fire
0: (laughs) the really crazy thing for me is that so the damage over time is 2d4 Uh, at the start of each of that creature's turn. Mm -hmm. When you use this spell at a higher level uh, of second level or higher, the damage increases by 2d4 for each spell slot above first. Holy crap. That
1: could dangerous real quick, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's Mm -hmm. amazing.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's
0: great. Let's see. Um, Because like I said, I don't want to go through every single one of these. I think
1: we could just highlight the Tasha's ones, at least when it comes to each spell slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, the next one up on that would be the second level Tasha's Mind Whip, which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. uh, Not to mention the range is 90 feet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So you psychically lash out at a creature you can see within range. It must make an int save, and on a fail, the target takes 3d6 psychic, and it can't take a reaction uh, until the end of its next turn. And also, on its next turn, it must choose whether it gets a move, an action, or a bonus action. It only gets one of the three (laughs) on a successful save. The target takes half as much damage and doesn't have to deal with that. Um, Mm -hmm. This is very similar to Pathfinder. There's a lot of effects that can take away one, two, or even all three of your actions. And Mm -hmm. that's just a effect that you have to deal with for that turn because it goes away by the end of the next turn. But I always liked that in Pathfinder because it felt like even if they succeeded, it, it still worked a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, But, I mean, like, this one's nice. For a second level, 90 feet, yeah. <laughs> um, oh,
0: yeah, no, this is fantastic.
1: At higher levels, you can target an additional creature for each slot above second. And, but they do have to be within 30 feet of each other when you target them.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of bouncing around.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, um, it's pretty neat.
0: Oh, yeah. The uh, There's a lot of summoning spells in here because uh, a couple of the classes had quite a bit of summoning going on. But the one that I want to uh point out is summon undead. And it's a third level spell. I really I really like that they they did that so you can get into that a li- little bit more of that necromancy earlier mm-hmm. on.
1: Yeah. Um not to mention that there's also summon shadow spawn.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Which thank you. I needed that from a villains. So this is perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so those kind of uh, are, are fill up the third to sixth uh, level spells, but there is Tasha's otherworldly guys at sixth level, um, which is interesting. Um, I don't I, again I don't know a lot about Tasha yet to you know even put her in my game, let alone you know talk about you know what she does and stuff. This one's interesting because it essentially lets you disguise yourself as either a lower planes or upper planes creature, yeah. and depending on which one you choose, gives you different abilities so I don't know if she's got something with above and below going on seems like it
1: well she does have a uh, communication essentially like a direct communication with Grazit. Um yeah that's
0: true I, I love the, the image in this book yeah. of, of her just chatting with him through a mirror it's like one of my favorite things
1: someone said uh, it's the, this image makes it feel like Grazit is definitely going to send her a dick pic and she already has not blocked
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
1: Like that's what they it's... said. That's what this is conjuring. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is that god. emotion?
0: <laughs> um, that so so that's that spell is, is pretty cool. The, really, it's the last two on this list that I think are really freaking cool. And who knows? They're at the higher levels. Um, seventh level gives you dream of the blue veil.
1: Oh yeah. Uh,
0: so. <laughs> This has got a lot of text in it and I'm going to boil it down for you. Essentially, you and a certain and up to 8 willing creatures go to sleep, have a dream about another plane on the on the material plane, and when you wake up you're there. The way that this works is that you have to either have a magic item from that plane or someone that is being affected by the spell has to be have been born on that plane Mm -hmm. and where you end up is somewhere safe within uh one mile of either where the magic item was created or where that person was born i think this is some of the coolest freaking stuff i've seen for spells and it's right up my weird trevor alley or uh, not alley but you know Alleyway. Weird alley. The yeah, alleyway. <laughs> Weird alleyway of like stuff that I enjoy just being out there and strange. Yeah. Because I love dream stuff.
1: Oh yeah. I mean like I've already kind of toyed with the spell dream because of mm-hmm. going through Roland's uh it's not really backstory, but situation with the spell plague. Mm-hmm. And using this spell would be really neat. And what's neat is that bard, sorcerer, warlocks and wizards can learn this.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I especially love bards. <laughs> I love that bards oh, yeah. can do it.
1: Yeah. It takes, uh, it takes you 10 minutes to cast it. It lasts for six hours. It's, it's a great spell.
0: <laughs> it is. I, uh, uh, that spell might, uh, become very, uh, well used, uh, in my campaign soon. Oh yeah. Uh, the last one I want to go for is Blade of Disaster, which first off, great A name. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic. Mm-hmm. This spell's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, seeing a couple numbers here uh, haven't, without yeah. reading it. This is kind of wild. Yeah.
0: Uh, you create a blade-shaped planar shift, or sorry, rift, about three feet long in an unoccupied space that you can see within range. The blade lasts for the duration. When you cast the spell, you can make up to two melee spell attacks with the blade uh, against each each one against a creature, loose object, or structure within five feet of the blade. On a hit, now this is a ninth-level spell. On a hit, the target takes four d12 force damage. This, attack's, uh, this attack scores a critical hit if the d20 rolls an 18 or higher. On a critical hit, the blade deals an extra eight d12 force damage for a total of t- for a total of 12 d12 force damage. As a bonus action on your turn, you can move the blade up to 30 feet, and then it again makes two <laughs> melee spell attacks. It can move harmlessly through barriers and in, and uh, also Including wall of force. Including
1: a wall of force?
0: This thing's ridiculous, and I love it.
1: Okay, um...
0: Only so wizards can use it.
1: Real quick, uh, are you aware of a character, a Marvel character called Magic... Vaguely, She is not an X-Men, but she kind of is. Uh, she's the younger sister of Colossus. Okay. And after a run in with Rasputin and going through a lot of Limbo situations, she became out. the queen of Limbo after learning how to become the Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo. And this
0: sounds like X-Men, yes. She
1: learned how to use planar travel, but then as she grew up and became the Queen of Limbo, she learned how to use that power of planar teleportation as a weapon.
0: That's sick.
1: So this sounds like you become that you can become magic with yeah. this spell.
0: <laughs> um I, I actually was like so this is for sorcerer warlock. Or wizard. I'm going to be honest. and and, uh, Golden Pals, they're not going to like this statement. Their new villain might be using this. Oh my god, yes.
1: It's fucking nuts. It's wild.
0: I love it. Uh, You know what? Let's actually take a break here uh, for some champions loot. This week's code is EXPOSHAY. L-A-D-S. Expoche, lads. Expose. Um. <laughs> put that code in on any of the uh, numerous platforms that Isle Champions is available on. Get some good loot to uh, help you kick evil's butt and then take a screenshot of it. Send it to us at Difficulty Class because we love to see what kind of loot you get to help you and your champions vi- become victorious. And I already said kick evil's butt, so I can't use that one again. So j- be awesome. Yeah. And... Uh, now back to a trevor who doesn't understand past present or future thanks past me anywho uh we're gonna be doing our dc spotlight now and Mm -hmm. uh I, I, i we couldn't think of a better one to do this week than actually the beast of blemish the camp or the adventure that we played last friday yeah um after running the session on friday uh ryan blake hall was like you know what I my confidence in this adventure has uh, skyrocketed. I feel good about it. I already have this written out for DM's Guild. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna post it. And so he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Wednesday, he posted the Beast of Blemish on DM's Guild. It is a pay what you want with a suggested price of 4.99, and I can tell you, 4.99 is completely worth it. I have played this. I know. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> no, it's a great starter adventure for. Even people that haven't played D and D, because it's got like all the wonderful D and D elements to it. Yes, I I kind of mentioned this in a tweet earlier uh, when before we recorded this. It's like you've got amazing role play opportunity between fantastic little NPCs. You've got wonderful, uh, just classic going into a dungeon. There's traps nearby. You've got rats in the cellar. It's like, yep. <laughs> there's a little bit of mystery that you got to solve. It's it's a great all-around intro to dnd without it being like 80 pages long <laughs> yeah
0: i i uh I, I like to say it brings the whimsy like it, yeah. it, it's, it's definitely got that whimsical feel to it yeah and you could 100 percent drop this into any setting you could drop this into uh the forgotten realms easy
1: oh yeah no it's it's super easy to do that too
0: yeah Um, so yeah, if, if you have a group that is starting out in the game, uh, hundred percent pick this up. Even if your group are veterans, I recommend trying out this game because it is a lot of fun with some twists and turns. You probably aren't going to see coming. So, uh, Mm -hmm. so, so definitely check that out. Uh, we'll tweet it out as normal. Uh, but it is again, the beast of blemish. It is on DMs guild right now. Okay. So magic items there's a lot there is um more than i was expecting and i'm happy about that oh yeah there's that that picture uh with with the demon lord her she definitely does have that that feel of i blocked you please go away (laughs) um so the the oh i'm i'm still in spells that's why i got confused so yeah like i said there's a lot of uh, of, of new items in here, and the the thing that I do want to point out before we continue this conversation is I really like that there are items in here for sorcerers, wizards, bards, and the like that act essentially like plus one swords. Yeah. Um, that is probably to me one of the coolest additions to this because you're always giving out these martial magic w- items to fighters, rogues, archers, and I don't know why I called them archers, rangers, and whatnot. <laughs> um. And so to now have an option to be able to give stuff besides the Wand of Accuracy or the War, uh, War Wand or whatever the heck it's called, I like that there's now more stuff that you can give because I love
1: stuff. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, there's too many in here for us to go over. We're already over 40 minutes into this episode. But the <laughs> thing that we wanted to talk about for this uh, was the tattoos. Uh, they they were added. Uh, we talked about these when they came out in the UA, mm-hmm. and we weren't 100% uh, happy with them uh, yeah. and it looks like they were just implemented the exact same way as they were in the UA
1: pretty much um, the magical item itself is not the tattoo it's actually the needle that is used to get the tattoo yeah and the ta- the needle transforms into the said tattoo that you get and then when you unattune you get the needle back
0: yeah that it, it, I don't know it, it's it's weird, because like I I okay I have one tattoo okay mm-hmm. I I'm not gonna say that I am in the the tattoo culture or anything close to that <laughs> I got this with my siblings whatever, um but it 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 it's weird to me like having seen stuff you know from the side of what tattoo culture is like and everything to have this be so blasé. I just do it, or and then when I don't want to have it anymore, I get rid of it. And there's no kind of, like, ceremony to it being put on you. Because, like, in the book, it's so boring. It's like, it's a needle, You poke it where you want it to be, and then the needle forms into the tattoo. But in the imagery they show for it, there is this half-orc with, like, cool, like, sleeve tattoos with this giant, like, you know, like how they would have the old-style needles and stuff poking it into the arm of another half work who's like writhing in pain getting this magic tattoo that's cool mm-hmm. I love that kind of thing where it's like this is permanently getting done you're gonna feel some pain going through this like this is this is a a whole thing yeah but the way it's presented in the book is like oh you opened a chest and there's a needle that has a magic tattoo in it and now you have plus two ac yay it's so there
1: yeah I mean like so, the DMG offers things uh, as rewards that aren't magical items that isn't experience, and they're called yeah. boons. Yeah. You don't have to be attuned to them. They may or may not be permanent, and they're very much like, just here you are. I think the tattoos could have been boons instead of magical items that require attunement. Yeah. Because one, well, it's like, of course you're going to give up a tattoo for a really cool sword. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, it should be something I, that you want to keep.
0: Yeah. And, and and I think that's the thing for me. I wish that this was a separate section from magic items. Having, a, having the tattoos in the magic item section is weird. And it's also weird that you have to be attuned to it. Mm-hmm. Like, this should be its own separate thing. And there should be, like, you know, suggestions on, like, the tattoo artist, what you might need to do in order to have them agree to do this. This is a very rare form of magic. It takes a lot of power. There should be more flair to it than just take needle, put on skin, magic. Now,
1: there is one tattoo that is that doesn't require attunement. However, it's a one-time use. <laughs> it's what? a spell scroll, but pretty much on your skin. <laughs> it's a called spell rot tattoo. yeah it's pretty much as soon as you use the spell that the tattoo is infused with it disappears from your skin
0: that's so weird yeah that's yeah i don't i don't know about that like i like i'm I'm not gonna say no to uh, players using this, but I will completely house roll this. Where it's like, no, you don't have attunement. No, you don't find this in a random treasure chest in a dungeon. You have to seek someone out for this,
1: and they might ask this, a big favor to get to give yeah. it to you,
0: or it might cost a lot of money. Like honestly, for me, I would jack up the price of what these magic tattoos are. Oh god, yeah. What, I mean, one, because I am removing the attunement thing, but also, again, because this should be a thing. Like, this shouldn't mm-hmm. be a big deal. It, yeah. it, it, it Again, it just feels blah.
1: Not to mention, it. if you take away that attunement, it makes your players feel more powerful. Yeah. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with making your players feel like as if they've gotten more powerful on their journey?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's, again, why there should be some big ordeal or price that you have to pay in order to get Mm this
1: um they do recommend that like the more rare the tattoo is the bigger it is so i like that suggestion because then you can't get like three rare tattoos and it's like (laughs) oh i've got room for another one it's like do you though buddy
0: (laughs) i I love i love the idea it's where it's just like it's like, oh yes, this uh this tattoo gives me plus uh, uh two to AC. I have advantage on all saves. Um, I get, uh, my weapon attacks are better. I have resistance to elements. Uh, what does it look like? Um, it's a little Kermit the Frog head. Um, right here on Kermit my forearm. <laughs> just a little <laughs> Kermit the Frog. Yeah, no, I, I do like that. Yeah, I think I think I would house rule where it's just like, um, depending on its rarity and whatnot, it could take up a whole limb. Mm-hmm. So like you, I would almost assign slots to limbs where it's like your arm has three slots in it. Oh, this is a very rare tattoo. It is a three-slot tattoo, so yeah. it takes up your whole arm.
1: Yeah, and I think if we easily can homebrew it, we can we can tweak it to okay. make where we're happy with it.
0: I just okay, <laughs> Wiz is about to laugh at me real hard because I just realized that I'm Pathfinder Second Editioning these things. <laughs> And I I I'm I'm always on about this like, oh yeah, like fifth edition more because it's like whatever the rules and I'm over here just like let's make this more concrete. Yeah, I mean like
1: that's the second time we've we've evoked, you know, like Pathfinder to this this uh, recording,
0: right? <sighs> if we do it if we do it one more time, it will appear here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, um <laughs> uh, okay uh so yeah that uh, again lots of cool magic items cool tasha stuff baba yaga's uh mortar and pestle yeah. lots of good stuff if if you do nothing if you love magic items at, l- at least go to ddb Beyond and just buy the magic item section yeah, there's
1: That's fantastic uh, let's see six yeah there's six artifacts in here and if you know what artifacts are they're pretty much all like quests worthy items so and they're beast not only are they items that you can implement into the game but they're also hey here's six quests that you can implement into the game around it (laughs) (laughs) so those are those are always fun to look at
0: i i hadn't seen this artwork i just went so i went to the next section next section for listeners is the dungeon master's tools and there's an image of tasha playing wizard's chess i guess that's what it's called or wizardly chess against (laughs) mordecanon yes (laughs) i love it so much that's one of my favorite pictures i i'm actually gonna screen cap that and make it my wallpaper (laughs) it's Um, a great
1: picture it just goes to show like these wizards really know each other and it it established that narrative
0: (laughs) yeah um so this is for me the reason why new dm should buy this book Mm -hmm. um I mean, the, the the origin options and the class feature options alone, I think, is a reason why anyone should buy this book. Uh, though we've already said the origin options we wish were a little bit better. But uh, the the the, Dun- the Dungeon Master's Tools starts off with Session Zero, and I'm a huge fan of this section in general. Yeah. Um, it gives a really great overview of what you should be doing in a Session Zero, how to do one. Um, and, like, like, thing, like, I love this. Party formation. Uh, you know, figure out what roles you want uh, to do or, like, what kind of relationship your party has. Uh, There's some questions they ask, like, are any of your characters related to each other? What keeps the characters together as a party? What does each character like most about the uh, every other member of the adventure party? I love these questions to pose to your players to get them to be a closer knit group. Not to mention and-
1: they bring up uh, an important, it's a, it's a single paragraph, but it's a very important one um, underneath the session zero tag. It's like before making characters or playing the game, You have the Session Zero to establish expectations, outline the terms of a social contract, and share house rules. Making and sticking to these rules can help ensure that the game is a fun experience for everyone involved. Yes. And like, we've talked about Session Zero before, uh, you know, insert episode here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's we go into extensively about how beneficial session zero can be, especially if you go through that outline of like the expectations of a game. Uh, Do you guys expect it to be like critical role where it's really heavy with role play or is it going to be more like a dungeon crawl? It's, it's good to have those expectations established. And the fact that this book lays it out is great.
0: And, And I, I know, and I, I've been one of these DMS. I know there is that temptation to, keep your campaign like even like what it is secret because you want to have that reveal moment don't do that <laughs> talk be very open about what campaign you're doing if it's a pre-written one or one of your owns of what it's dealing with um when it gets down to the social contract section i i absolutely love and adore this section because it is uh, all about like hey you know talk about you know if there is going to be Uncomfortable things in this talk about uh, you, I love that they talk about hard and soft limits. Yeah, uh, a soft limit is a threshold that one should think twice about uh, before crossing as it is likely to create genuine anxiety, fear or discomfort. Like a, a good hard example limit...
1: would be like a fear like spiders in a game. For yeah, Trevor, for example, because you have arachnophobia.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, Ike, uh, uh, Ike and was both been great about this where they're like, hey, uh, I." they've texted me. They've been like, "Hey, are you? I know you're. You, you don't like spires, but how are you with scorpions?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm fine with scorpions." Like, "Okay, cool," because there's gonna be like a fucking giant one this Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, that's fine, that's fine." Um, yeah, no. Uh, uh, Ike has even told me after a game, like, "Hey, there were supposed to be giant spires in this, and I changed that." I'm like, "I appreciate you so much. <laughs> yeah, I can't even tell you." Um, and the, uh, the uh, their definition for a hard limit is a threshold that should never be crossed. Yeah, and. You know, we, we talked about this in our episode where it's like, you know, talk about these things that is OK and not OK at the table. And I like this verbiage for it a lot with soft limit and hard limit mm-hmm. um, where it could be like, hey, you know, uh, there might be some of this in it. And someone's like, yo, I'm not cool with that in any way. And it's like, OK, cool. We're going to take that out of the campaign. It's not a big problem. Yeah, whatever. Um and that and for me that's how these conversations should go because again remember these are your friends mm-hmm. like you you're here to have fun it is not just about the story that you had the expectation of running it is about the game that you all are going to do yeah um and that's and the other thing you talk about how they say set expectations and whatnot because that is a very dangerous thing in D. &D, is expectations is one player coming to the table and having an expectation that is completely opposite of literally everyone else in the room and not ignoring that (laughs) and just trying to play the game that they wanted to play that is that can break groups so i very much recommend this section for people to check out um And then, you know, again, talks about house rules and just simply like, hey, just announce what house rules you have. And I've been trying to really get better about this, even while we're playing a game where I'm like, hey, again, this is a house rule. You might see this differently at other tables Mm -hmm. just as a heads up.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to have a uh, a note on my phone of all the house rules that I've had because it's really hard to remember them off the top of your head
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so it's like hey guys just to let you know so that we're all on the same page this is what i do here if this ever comes up this is what we do and bards get this <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like uh it's it's always good to have just a written thing for you so you can just have it on hand
0: mm-hmm uh so after the session zero section, and actually even in it, they they talk really quickly about running a campaign for one person, but it goes into more afterwards with sidekicks. And this is an expanded version of what was found in the essentials kit and has a lot more options in there for types. Because I think before there were, they didn't have spell casters uh, as an option for that, right?
1: I think they did, but they only ever went up to level six. Yeah. That was the main uh, kicker. They didn't go past uh, that.
0: And now they can go to level 20. Uh, there's uh, more options and class features and stuff for them to do. But here's the question I have, because while I was reading through this, I didn't find a good answer for it. And maybe there isn't a good answer. It's just, you know, do it as you want. Who, in your mind, controls the sidekicks?
1: Generally, uh, the
0: DM. Okay.
1: Um, it really depends, though. <laughs> like, uh,
0: mm-hmm. if...
1: Um, For example if i was going for for a while there i had a lot of npcs tag along with my players and because it was a lot of npcs i told my players to each handle their own person Mm -hmm. and even when it knocked down to only one npc tagging with them i still had that person control that other character because they already knew that character and they already knew what they would do um so like if that sidekick had a personal connection Like, uh, for example, if I brought in Bertram's wife again, I probably, or like one of like Bertram's son, let's say that he would come in as like a sidekick, but I would have Marcos role-play as him and to do that and not just role-play, um, but control him in, in battle. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But yeah, when it comes to role-playing, I would probably still take over for that because it's still a character that they don't have complete agency over because the this nbc the sidekick can react to what a player does (laughs) oh yeah you know um so it's like i feel like that's part of it like one of the reasons and one of the necessary things in order to come get a sidekick you have to be friends with it Mm -hmm. so it's like i feel i feel like the dm should generally at least control the role playing and the, the personality of it
0: the see what's for me in my mind, the player controlled it. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I got confused when I was reading it, is because in my head this was um just it was more action economy for them so they, you know, they didn't get overpowered by four goblins having, you know, four attacks on them and they only have one attack to deal with uh each round. Yeah. But yeah, I I I, I think it could actually go either way for me. Mm-hmm depending on who is the person, like if Tara was, if I was running a game for her that she was the only player in, I'd 100% give her control of the sidekick because I know she knows what she's doing. Yeah. If this is a brand new player that's never played before, I'm 100% controlling the sidekick.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's a by basis kind of situation.
0: Yeah. But I, I like that they have continued them and that the, what's almost seemed kind of like a gimmick for like I I that's kind of how it seemed at first when they announced the essentials kick with the with the sidekicks is now like it's a thing and they've put it in a book and they're like here do this they can go to level 20 it can be a great experience for everyone.
1: Um so there's a little blurb here that says you decide who plays the sidekick and you're ah, options. Go. Um a player plays the sidekick as their second character ideal when you only have one or two players. A player plays the sidekick as their only character ideal for a player who wants a character who's simpler than a typical player character which is an interesting, interesting. concept yeah both of us were like yeah. interesting um yeah the player jointly the players like all of them jointly play the sidekick oh i love that or you the dm play the sidekick
0: i love that that second to last one because like i'm thinking of like uh, like if i was playing with my nephews like mm. i would love it to have a sidekick there that they both got to control uh but the the one that you said there where they control the sidekick they, now now here here here's my here's my thought on that what about having a campaign where there's one dm one player and they have four sidekicks where <laughs> they control basically a party
1: I'm just thinking you just created a red wall campaign
0: <laughs> a, a what
1: red roll a red wall I keep putting an r after my w but essentially it's like animals that are adventurers but <laughs>
0: oh my god oh you could do remember you remember seeing the the dog minifigure sets yes. you could just do that they're all side oh my god i want to do this this sounds adorable Mark growls I love
1: barkley it. back at it again Yeah, <laughs> you totally could
0: <laughs> um so after sidekicks uh there's a cool little section called parlaying with monsters mm-hmm. and i'm a I love this one not just because it endorses not just murdering every freaking thing you come across, but this table right here might be the most useful table I have ever seen as a dungeon master, and it is monster research. (laughs) It gives you a type for a creature and then what suggested skill checks there are to learn about it. This is fantastic because I can't tell you how many times someone's been like, oh, what do I know about uh, th- this owl bear?" And I'm like, I guess, it's, I guess it's nature. But this is animal handling, nature, or survival. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I never would have thought about those things. Like, in my head, animal handling is always just, you know, you doing the action of doing it. But of course it's knowledge of the creature.
1: <laughs> yeah, husbandry. You got to understand how to do it before you can do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, yeah,
1: I mean, like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna evoke it a third time, but Pathfinder two, I believe, kind of does god this a little it. bit,
0: right? Oh no! Oh no. <laughs> it it has risen. Ah! <laughs> Go away. <laughs> like, oh god, it fucked up my mic just a little bit.
1: <laughs> I think Good it's, Lord. I think they do it in a way where, uh, if there's a monster and it's like, if you say, "I want to learn about this monster," it tells you. At least the school that you could learn it from. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, is this a primal thing? And I think it suggests it for you. I think I'm not the DM for Pathfinder I, 2, so I don't remember. But
0: I, am I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think that is how it goes. Maybe. Anywho. Um. But yeah, that that list, fantastic. I'm a big fan. But then they also have uh, tables for monster desires, and it's just a, it's a d4 for each one, but it's for each uh, type of creature available, and it gives you a quick little thing. What's a dragon's desire, gold or gems, anything from a uh, draconic rival's horde, an antique uh, passed down at at least three generations, a flattering artistic depiction of the dragon. I love it.
1: I'll be honest, I'm looking at these. Fae is probably one of my favorite. Oh, yeah? Yeah. uh, The memory of your first kiss. The color of (laughs) your eyes. An object of deep sentimental value to you or reciting a sublime poem.
0: I love it It's love
1: like 100% it. and I love all these it's uh, the undead have an offering too which is super cool
0: <laughs> um, so after that it goes into uh, supernatural regions, magical phenomena and natural hazards mm-hmm. this section I was a little confused about it first and I feel like we could have a, a, just a better conversation about it than going through what it is It's essentially it's how to make your setting. An, uh, an interesting character in your story. So instead yeah. of it just being like, you're walking through the woods and there's like some face shit. <laughs> like instead of yeah. just having that, it's like it uh, gives suggestions for like, if your players do this in this area, here's a table you can roll on to have something happen in response to it.
1: The way I kind of was thinking about it was, uh, you know, like some legendary creatures have like layer effects.
0: Yeah, it's
1: kind of like they expanded on the concept of layer effects into an entire area without the legendary creature. <laughs> yeah,
0: so uh, like the like...
1: the layer itself is what's causing this effect on you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's responding to you, mm-hmm. um, thus again making the the setting feel like its own character. Um yeah. So like, there's the in the supernatural regions, they have like blessed areas. Uh, far Realm areas uh, what else we got? Haunted. I love Haunted and you know if, if we if end up doing another Strahd game that's going to get used a lot. Oh yeah um, there's a
1: Far Realm in here and I am 100% down for that because it's going to help me out so much. Uh, yeah. Spoilers, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: there's an infested one and the image makes my skin crawl because it's yep. a town covered in webs with giant spiders. No thank you. Uh, there's um, a mirror
1: zone, you know, for a was that Superman? Was that how they locked them in there for?
0: Oh, oh, the Phantom Zone.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff in there to like the thing for me with this is that it's it seems almost like a uh, a jumping off point for DMs, where it's like here's some really cool shit. What could you place in it? Mm-hmm. it, it it's it's the foundation for a place, not the place itself. Like they aren't talking about cities in the far realm or what castle is haunted. It's just, here's some things that can happen in a haunted place. You make the haunted place. Yeah. So I, I I enjoy that. Um, after Uh, they talk
1: about the settings, they talk about magical phenomena, which phenomena, phenomena, uh, which I, I mentioned this in last episode, uh, it's very much Ghost of Saltmarsh feeling where they introduced that concept into like, here's things that can happen while you're out on the sea. And they mm-hmm. kind of happen at random stance, but there's severe like outcomes from it. And this one gives you so many neat op- like <laughs> options from it. Like you've got like Eldritch, Eldritch storms. storms. Yeah. Uh, that's fucking cool if you just think about it. Um, Flame storm. <laughs> yeah. There's just there's so many things thrums howl where it's just like bone chilling blizzards and there's a reason why behind it and it's like it takes these huge effects and it gives reason behind it and oh my god the eldritch storm picture on the next page is the coolest fucking thing
0: oh yeah (laughs) Uh, definitely go check that one out listeners Mm -hmm. uh yeah, no, I, I I love this section. Oh, uh, I'm I'm not gonna go into detail because uh, it, it, you know, your DM might use it, or you might want to use it for your players. Mimic Colony. Yep. Just let your mind wander.
1: Yep. Oh yeah, there's um, this beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's my favorite. It's it's unsettling as shit.
1: <laughs> it's very unsettling, but I love it so much. Um, there's yeah. enchanted springs. There's emotional echoes which
0: that one's really cool
1: yeah like i'm 100% going to use that because it just kind of goes to show like magic does shit to a place
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and i love this whole section because it really emphasizes that magic is a part of the world and it changes things
0: Mm -hmm. aside Uh, from magic
1: there's also natural hazards that they go into which i can appreciate
0: uh, so they go over avalanches, uh, falling into water, falling onto creatures, and then spell equivalents for natural hazards. This one's super interesting to me. So, like, let's say that there's a blizzard and you want to give your player some damage. You could use Cone of Cold, Ice Storm, or Sleet Storm. So yeah. it's not – you're not actually casting the spell. There's no nothing to counterspell. It spell. applies it's just, numbers
1: you, to it. Yeah. yeah. So if
0: you don't know what to roll for things – you can do it from the spells. Yeah. I love that.
1: It's it's a great way to do it. Like radiation, uh, blight, circle of death. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. super cool.
0: Yeah. Uh. So fantastic stuff there. Uh. The last part of the book is puzzles. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, man, do I struggle with puzzles sometimes.
1: Yeah. So the beautiful thing about this entire chapter is it has like three pages of how to do puzzles, but then... The rest of it are examples.
0: (laughs) Yeah. With
1: handouts. Handouts. And I could not be happier. That's pretty much what everyone's just been wanting is like, yeah, "Yeah, great. We know how to make a puzzle. We are all terrible at it, though. Can you give us examples? (laughs) (laughs) And here they go giving you like, what is it, 20 pages worth of like puzzles. And they're different difficulties too and they even tell you like oh here's how you can change the difficulty of this thing here's like this this is a medium puzzle however you can make it more difficult you can make it easier and it they really go into making it just totally able to be done and you can plop them into really any kind of campaign and they even talk about giving out hints and how you can do that.
0: Yes. That was one of the things that I absolutely loved yeah. because the way it was written, I went, oh, I've been doing that for years because I don't know what to do. It's <laughs> like, uh,
1: how do I do this? Can I get help? And it's like, uh, roll a check.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And here actually gives like a DC for the check. And what happens if they pass it? And it's It's like there's like this painting thing. And it's like, oh, you can do an intelligence DC 10 check. And so you can just say, yeah, Mm -hmm. give me an intelligence check, an investigation. And so they do it and you're like, oh, yeah, uh, you deduce that the number of the creatures is important. And so it's like it actually tells you how to give the hints. And it it does a lot of the work for you that we've been doing at the seat of our pants for the past, like, 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. So it feels. And for
0: others, much longer. (laughs) Yeah.
1: it, It feels good to finally get a lot of puzzles In in an official book. I will say that Um, because like I mentioned before, DMs Guild
0: provides.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I like how they do this because this actually sets up much like how the patron does. Seeing the examples is more helpful than a walkthrough. 100%. Because if you see the example, you can easily make your own puzzle using each section. Like there's puzzle features, the solution, hint checks. And so it's like, if you just cover those bases, there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we're not going to go into the puzzles themselves because we don't want to spoil them because uh, I feel like the this section is going to get a lot of use. Yeah. So I, I don't want to ruin that for anybody. It, it, but it is a very good section. Um, what I think we should do here at the last bit is just kind of talk about our feelings on the book. Yeah. Um, not so much a review. I mean, we'll do a review, you know, a long time from now when we have had more time to implement these mm-hmm. things into our game. But how do you feel uh, about this book overall uh, it being recently released?
1: So I've had been having trouble kind of putting it into words exactly why I felt like this book was super necessary. And, like, we do, like, three-fourths of this stuff already in our game. However, mm-hmm. they put it in a book. And we've been saying, like, oh, it's for all those people that claim you should do it raw. Like, you should not, like, do it any other way. You shouldn't homebrew. It's like, well, I think it goes beyond that because you and I went into DMing 5e with that knowledge of 4e. We already Mm -hmm. came in from playing other role-playing games. We already came in knowing how to generally play a tabletop game. Imagine going into DMing without any of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, and, I mean, I, I I do remember that from fourth edition. But. Yeah, but
1: like, my argument is that in fourth edition, the books held your hand heavily through how to do it. It's true. They pretty much walked you through. There was an answer to every single question. Whereas, well, in it's fifth also edition, because every
0: every answer was an encounter. Yeah, they fight it. <laughs>
1: true, but I mean, it kind of still made it easier to DM in the end. Yeah. Whereas, like in fifth edition, there's a lot more open to it, and the DMG doesn't provide as much answers as you think it does yeah like a lot of people argue oh there's a lot of answers in the dmg you just haven't read it yet it's like well hang on though because if you're the dmg goes into it assuming that you have a little bit of knowledge on how yeah. to run a game or even haven't been played a game but there are people out there who haven't played five ed- fifth edition they have found the book and they want to play and yeah. this book I think fills in those gaps that the DMG never bothered filling.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I agree with that.
1: Like the session zero, playing with a single player, social contracts, you know, it's like talking about that, all these Dungeon Master's tools, you don't, they should be implemented in the DMG, however they weren't. And so all those new DMs had to go to YouTube or they had to go and look at other people and they had to go listen to like podcasts like us in order to even feel confident to play a single game.
0: Feels so bad for those people. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: so it's like, I feel like this book really is filling in that gap that the DMG kind of just left wide open. It's for brand new people getting into the game.
0: Yeah. So all in
1: all, you know, I like it. (laughs)
0: i i'm over the moon with this book um the the one big critique i'm going to give is i'm still disappointed with the uh with how they did the you know origin stuff where they made it sound like they were doing this really big overhaul to how races were done and instead it's just do whatever you want uh you make it up and i i i'm disappointed in that because it doesn't feel like and I, and I know I'm wrong here. I'm I'm sure there were meetings and conversations and, you know, a lot of time spent on this. But the way it's presented, it feels more just like we don't know what to do to fix this problem. So we're just going to put it in a book, but mainly leave it up to you.
1: Yeah. It, for some reason, it felt like they were having to compromise instead of yeah. going the all in when there shouldn't be a need to compromise Mm you know what i mean so it's like it it felt like as if they only went half the distance when they could have gone all in
0: yeah and but i i i have the hope of a belief that you know whenever sixth edition eventually inevitably happens i do think that the the race section is going to get an overhaul um and again that is a hope that uh not not you know i have yeah. a belief but it is mainly a hope but uh overall this book is fantastic i said at the beginning of the last episode that if i were in a game where you have one a uh, one extra book option it would be this book in a heartbeat oh yeah um it did, this did so much for classes and dms and just overall everything that i feel that it does earn the title of the everything brand the xanathar the xanathar's guide looks empty now compared to this thing for me yeah
1: i mean like i i think it goes like tasha's xanathar's and then the other books after that (laughs) yeah like i probably get this over the dmg first oh yeah if i'm if the order of books (laughs) you know like player's handbook then probably tasha's well no player's handbook monster manual then probably tasha's and then any other books after
0: that yeah and then i'd say just go buy the item section of the dmg on uh, D&D beyond you'll be fine yeah Um, like that's
1: the dmg is nice and piecemeal and in reference it's not really helpful when it actually tells you how to dm
0: I, I know that there are people out there that do say, like, it was like, oh, well, you know, you just haven't read the DMG. It's, it's a really good book. And I'm like, it is, but it's not what the DMG used to be. Like... The the two D uh dungeon masters guys for fourth edition I read cover to cover so many times mm-hmm. uh because it was teaching me how to do things it was teaching me how to make traps how to do stuff like this that the 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 fifth edition DMG is just like here's a bunch of random stuff we spewed on into a book plus magic items yeah and it, not to it does the way not help a new it's DM. terrible it's just <laughs> yeah it it does not help a new DM no. in my opinion at all this book does yeah the the session zero rules are a huge help the conversation about soft and hard limits i i would yeah if someone was getting new into the game yeah player's handbook monster manual tasha's guide to everything or tasha's culture and everything
1: to mention the patrons help give you an ease into like if you're homebrewing a whole new thing it's like yeah it makes it super easy to just get into the game
0: I, I I think that's why I like this book so much is because I can honestly say it is for both players and DMs and it helps them both equally. I mean, sh- we just did two episodes of our <laughs> podcast about them. I mean, it's got a lot of stuff in there.
1: Yeah. No, it really does. And it's like not just for like players and DMs, but also new players, old players, new DMs, old DMs. Yeah. It's literally, it's, it's a helpful book for, for anyone who likes the hobby.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, th- I think that is, uh, is going to wrap up our impressions. Uh, we love it. We, we like yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> we, we recommend it. Um, so, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll do a review in the far-flung future once we get a chance to actually implement it and whatnot and really see how it works. I know a lot of this stuff is already getting used in my games, so we'll see what happens. Um, before uh, we, we do end the show, uh, uh, I want to bring up again the YouTube channel thing, uh, just namely because, hey... We, we do want to explore this. We do want to try it out. We want to uh, see what we can do with it. Mm-hmm. And the best way that we can do that is if you do actually like and subscribe to it. And I know you hear that <laughs> all the time. You're tired of hearing it. I'm not telling you to punch the bell. I mean, if you want to punch the bell, it's fine. Do whatever. Uh, But uh, <laughs> but really, because again, we can't even get that custom URL until we hit 100 subscribers. Oh, okay. So even even if you don't care about youtube or anything but you like hearing us talk you like supporting us if you could go just subscribe to the channel so that we can start making it a bigger and better thing that would be fantastic, and I would greatly appreciate it. Yeah,
1: I mean, like, I got a resin printer, guys. I'm I'm going to be painting stuff. I'm going to be figuring yeah. out how that works. It's going to go on that channel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've got all of these freaking D&D minis that I keep buying and don't have a purpose for. Uh, so I'll show them <laughs> off on there. You can, you can can I'll give my review. I, I am getting two big minis coming up. I'm getting a purple worm coming soon, so maybe Ooh, I'll do a video about that. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's all I want to say on that
1: all right well that was our show for this week if you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it the best way to do that is by leaving review on your service of choice as well as telling your friends about the show if you'd like your questions advice or stories read on the show send them into difficulty class at gmail.com and if you'd like to stay up to date on the show you can follow us on twitter at difficulty class and on instagram at difficulty and trevor uh we're just difficulty difficulty class on youtube right now yes yeah, yeah. no
0: special url just yeah so look just, div- uh, just look up difficulty. give it a
1: search we'll be up there
0: (laughs) give it a search
1: Um, so until next time have a good game